Let's settle down. Let's settle down. We're going to get ready for the word of God. Amen. 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 If you love Jesus, say yeah. Amen. Yeah, that, that, means, that means you are awake. You are alive and ready. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I am Pastor Tony, and I am so glad to be here this evening to be preaching the word of God uh, to you today. God is good. He is worthy to be praised. And we are going to open up to the book of Romans, chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. And I'll give you time to actually get there. Right? And if you don't have a Bible, you have your pew Bibles there for you, but you should have your Bible. Amen? Amen. One more thing. If we can, if you can, if we can, silence our cell phones during the service. Silence our cell phones during the service. This is the house of the Lord, and we want to give him reverence. Amen? No disruptions. We silence our cell phones for everything else. Movie theaters, restaurants, let's silence it here in the house of the Lord. Amen. Let's give respect to the house of God. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to read together. Well, I'm going to read. I'm going to read. And if you could just follow along with me. Romans 15, verses 1 through 7. It says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You may be seated. Amen. Today's topic is welcome one another. I want to first of all recognize the worship team. Let's give them a hand this evening. That was awesome. I also want to recognize the shepherd of this house, Pastor Kyle Manning and his family. Let's recognize him and give him a hand. Praise him, man. And I would be so wrong if I didn't welcome this beautiful woman that God placed in my life, my wife, Abby Dorsey. Amen. I love you, mama. Amen. We have a, we have a boy coming uh, for Thanksgiving, and so it'll be more than turkey this year. <laughs> it'll be a baby crying. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Welcome, welcome, welcome. When I think about the word welcome, I automatically think about a house. I don't think about a restaurant. I don't think about a resort or amusement park. Because honestly, those places just want my money. But when I go to a house, someone is openly inviting me into their space of comfort, their space of peace and relaxation. 
See, a home is more than just a frame made with materials and sections for rooms and storage. It's a place where we laugh. It's a place where we cry and we sing songs, share our relationships and our secrets. It's also a place where we fight and we don't get along as much. And, but it's also a place that we're, where we bond. There's so much that goes on in a house. Furthermore, it's not just the house that is welcoming when I travel to someone's home. It's the front yard, it's the driveway, it's the neighborhood, and all the beautiful surroundings that make a house a home. For you could have the greatest home on earth with the best rooms, the best backyard, the best carpet, the best fixings, and everything that makes it a beautiful home. But if your home is in the middle of a war zone and the yard is unkept, and the roads are damaged, and the flowers are dying, and the trees are falling. No matter how good the conversation is, no matter how good the dinner is, or the hors d'oeuvres, or the tour of your beautiful home, the comfort of your backyard, the swimming pool, it will still be in the back of my mind the unwelcoming experience just to get to your front porch. This is why the church must be welcoming for the gospel message to be effective. For we can have the best worship team, the best praise team, the best deacons, the best elders, missionaries, outreach programs, teachers and pastors the world has ever seen. But if people do not feel welcomed, that will always leave a horrible impression in their hearts and in their minds, they'll say things like, the message was great, but I didn't feel welcome. The music ministry was amazing. The songs were powerful. But did you see how that couple in the back row was just staring down at us as if we did not belong? Or I tried to get into the service and the building was amazing and the air conditioner was at the right temperature. Everything was perfect. But there just seemed to be an unwelcoming spirit in the room. Have you ever been to a place where you could feel the atmosphere? There's a phrase that goes, the tension was so thick in that place that you can cut it with a knife. That means it was so prevalent and so noticeable that even though you can't physically see it, you had the ability to feel it, or in this case, cut it, which explains the level of uneasiness in that place. And the Bible says that we need to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, which means that we need to model the way Christ welcome and not lean onto our own understandings of what we think welcoming should be because this type of welcome or spirit of welcome only comes from God and it's only through God that an unwelcoming world can see the difference but most importantly see Christ and so today my brothers and sisters we are going to learn what it means to welcome like Christ are you ready to go with me on this journey Amen. Amen. Out of 59 one another's, eight are found in the book of Romans. Paul is addressing two specific groups. You have 
the weak, which are immature Christians, and you have the strong, which are mature Christians. And there's debates going on during this time, and Paul wants to address the debates that are going on. What are those, Pastor Tony? Well, I'll go ahead and tell you. You have some ascetic Jews that they, they're, they're doing severe abstaining. They're abstaining severely from certain things that the world has to offer. And they're saying, if we do this, this is how we're going to keep our salvation. Then you have some vegetarians in the group, and they're saying, ah, if we don't eat this meat over here, and if we don't eat this meat over here, and if we just eat this way, this is going to maintain our salvation. You also have some Sabbatarianists. They, they say that, you know, if we just hold on to the Sabbath, we just hold on to this day, we're going to hold on to our salvation. And all of these conversations are going on, and Paul is trying to address them. C.K. Bennett, Charles Kinsley Bennett, is a British biblical scholar and author and a Methodist minister. And what he determined was is that the weak that Paul is talking about are just legalists because they can't grasp the fundamental principles of what it means to be saved by the justification of faith and not by works. Because on and on and on in Romans, it's justification by faith, not by works. And these groups are still holding on to the Levitical practices that you find in the Old Testament, which are the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they're holding on to this because they've been practicing these things for years. And so Paul wants to address these issues because it's causing division within the church. Have you ever seen division within the church? Have you ever seen church split because of differences and opinions and different groups and things of that nature? Paul wants to address this. Why does he want to address this, Pastor Tony? Because Paul is on his third missionary journey. He's in Corinth, and he's writing this letter to these two groups. And we're at the tail end of the book of Romans. And he wants to make sure that the gospel message is going to be effective. But it cannot be effective if we are in disharmony. Why? Rome is the epicenter of the Roman Empire. Everything is coming out of Rome. Trade, commerce, different religious practices, new inventions, and all these things are coming out of Rome. So Paul, with his strategic mindset of being the greatest apostle, apostle ever to live on earth, is saying, I want the gospel message to be just as effective. But I can't do that if you're thinking this way, and this is the reason why you have your salvation, and you're thinking this way, and this is the reason why you have your salvation. So I have to get you guys on one accord. And so Paul is writing and addressing these two groups. And if you look at verse 1, it says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Not myself. I want to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. Please keep that in the back of your mind because I'm going to get right back to that. Amen. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The first point that I want to make is I am here to build you up and not to bring you down. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am here to build you up and not to bring you down. Y'all didn't even do that. <laughs> Y'all didn't even do that. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am here to build you up 
and not to bring you down. Amen. Amen. I know it's been a long day. I know it's been hot. Amen. But let's wake up and hear the word. Christ is the supreme example of strengthening others and living for the glory of God. To bear the weaknesses of fellow believers is not simply to tolerate those weaknesses, but to actually help carry them. The spiritual health of our brothers and sisters should actually come before my own personal freedoms and what I want and what I desire. People don't need criticism. They need instruction. As it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. I look at four words in this text. Strong, weak, encouragement, and endurance. When I look at these, or if I ever hear these two adjectives and these two nouns, I automatically think about the physical body and working out at the gym. If I'm a strong man and a weak man is coming to me and he's looking to change his physical state, I'm not going to start off by telling him and showing him how much I can lift, how many reps I can do, circuit training and all that. Why? First of all, I'll be wasting my time. He's weak. He doesn't understand that he's never been to a gym before in his life. Secondly, I wouldn't rush him to a weight room. Why not, Pastor Tony? He, he's weak. He's coming to... No, 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 no. The first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to get to know him. I'm going to get to know his eating habits, his lifestyle, where he lives and how he lives and what he drinks and everything like that. The reason why I'm going to do this is because it's going to make me better be effective in helping him reach his physical goal. But if I try to rush him into a situation, it's going to turn him completely off. And as it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. We need to make sure that we are transparent when people come into the house of God. And even before I get him to the weight room, I'm going to make sure that I share my own testimony with him on how I was never strong. I was never strong always, and I was never fast always, and I didn't have all the endurance and all the encouragement. I'm going to be transparent and let him know that I wasn't at this level always. But I'm going to help you get there by being a spotter. And in the spiritual, they also need to know that I wasn't always strong in my prayer life. I wasn't always strong as a minister. I wasn't always strong in fasting. It took time, it took motivation. I had somebody to spot me while I was going through the valleys of walking this Christian life. And we need to stop making new believers think and feel that we have always been holy always been praying, always been fasting, and that we're so spiritual that they can only touch and hug us when we give them permission. We need to be transparent. Why am I bringing this up? The title of this message is Welcome One Another. But I have to address the things that are so unwelcoming in the house of God. 
And the reason why is because Paul, before we even get to the point of welcome one another in verse 7, Paul says, wherefore, that means he's summarizing actually chapter 14, verse 1, all the way down to chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. He's summarizing all these points to get to this main point. In order for you to truly be welcoming, you have to get rid of this type of thinking, get rid of this type of thinking, and you guys have to be unified as one voice for the glory and the honor of God. Because that's the only way we can get to a welcoming church, a welcoming lifestyle, and have a heart that's welcoming. Bearing burdens and supporting each other through life's ups and downs can cause us to develop an attitude if we're not careful and we start operating in our own understanding and not follow the model of Christ on how he himself welcomed. We start bringing up our accomplishments our level of degrees and our successes, never our failures, and instructing and helping each other. And what happens is a spirit of resentment begins to develop instead of a welcoming spirit. And it's a complete turnoff when a brother or sister is struggling with an issue, and instead of being understanding and sympathetic and empathetic to their needs and their emotions, we then decide to share our resumes instead of sharing grace. And this feels so unwelcoming when we operate this way. We live in a time where churches are so focused on titles, positions, who has the biggest church, who's getting paid the most, who's on TV the most, worship teams have become pop stars, Theological debates have turned into boxing matches instead of healthy conversations. And what we begin to do is beat people up with the word of God instead of coming alongside them and saying, let me go ahead and show you what this text says. And you wonder why people do not want to come to church. We must understand that when people come to church, they're looking for something different than what the world offers they don't want to see a business because they dealt with business all week. They don't want to see a concert from the praise and worship team. They don't want to hear a TED Talk sermon because they already received a let's go get them email from their supervisor earlier that week. They want Jesus. They want change. They want growth. They want to see something different when they come into the house of God. We have become so, more, so much focused on building buildings and not building people. And while we're building staff and we're building networks and all of these connections for profits, in the interim, we are actually tearing people down by treating the church like a business rather than the house of the Most High God. And all of these things, my brothers and sisters, have turned believers and unbelievers completely off. Because these things that I'm talking about are so unwelcoming. They're unwelcoming to a person looking to grow. They're unwelcoming to a person looking to change. And most importantly, to a person who's looking for Jesus. And when you are building a business, rather than following the architectural guidelines of the Most High God, and what his church and what he wants his church to look like. When you start running a business, everybody in here knows that the customer is always right. 
It's no longer what God wants when it comes to his church. It's about what people want, their desires, their opinions, and you start welcoming in all of that information instead of what God is saying he wants his church to look like. Nehemiah chapter 1, going through chapter 2, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes at this time. A cupbearer is actually a high position back in these days because you have the trust of the king. You're looking out for any poisons or anything going into his cup. You also have his ear. And it was, it, it, and it was, it was against the law to actually look sad before a ruler back in those days. But at this point, Nehemiah was looking very, very unpleasant in front of the king. And he was taking a risk. But the reason why he was looking so sad is because he saw how the walls of Jerusalem looked. He saw how everything was torn down by the Babylonians, and he was just so distraught about it. This is how we need to be. There should be a trigger that literally initiates a prayer and a fast life when you see how the church of God, the house of God, is looking how things are so unwelcoming and how pastors are being caught in scandalous activities and things like that. That should draw a prayer and a response for us to get on our knees and come together as a body of Christ and be on one accord with each other and not fight and not debate. The Bible says we have an obligation the word obligation means an act or course of action to which a person is morally or legally bound. It's a duty or commitment. We have a duty to follow the guidelines of how the church should be. Verse 1 says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Our goal is to win souls and not win arguments. You ever been in a conversation with somebody and they just want to win the argument? Just, bah, 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 just, just want to win. Win the argument. I got to get you. I got to have the last say-so. We need to edify and encourage. One of my favorite scriptures when someone just wants to be argumentative rather than be receptive is 2 Timothy 2, 23 through verse 26. It says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God, not you, not Tim, not me, not Kyle, not the elders, not the deacons. God may perhaps grant them the repentance leading to a knowledge, to, to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Paul shares the problem when acting this way, and then he gives a solution by using the example on how Jesus acted, on how Jesus responded. Verse 3 says, For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Pastor Tony, what is reproach? What is that? I'm so glad you asked. Amen. 
Reproach is to address someone in such a way as to express disapproval or disappointment. Paul is referring to or he's referencing uh, Psalm 69.9 and how the Davidic kings had to be as leaders for their country. And he's using Jesus as the prime example of the ultimate covenant keeper and how he was willing to take the reproaches of man for the gospel of Jesus, for the gospel. He did not please himself. God always gets the glory. Always. In everything that we do, everything that we are a part of, any ministry, any outreach, anything that you are a part of, it should be for God's glory, not our own. Romans 15, verses 4 through 6 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such, what? Harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Harmony, one accord, one voice. Paul is trying to get the church to get unified. Amen? So let me ask you a question. Why is there so much chaos and disharmony in a place where we're teaching love like Jesus, love your neighbor, bear one another's burdens, be Christ-like, be holy, be set apart? Why is there so much disharmony in the house of God? How is it there is so much disorganization? Divorce rate is high. Racism is high. Hatred is high. Egos, cliques, all happening within the house of God. And the Bible is clear when it says one accord, harmony, one voice, that's togetherness. And the reason why is because we haven't allowed God, who is the conductor of our lives, to tap his baton as we are a symphony of believers and getting us ready. If we are a symphony of believers, that means I'm an instrument, you're an instrument to be used by God. But what, what's happening is, is that we're all off beat. You're playing one thing. I'm playing one thing. She's playing one thing. And it just sounds so disorderly and there's disharmony within the house of God. Because what we have done is we have not waited on the conductor in God to tap his baton and put us in rhythm. And this is how we become unwelcoming. How could you be welcoming if there is so much chaos going on within the house of God and within, within the body of Christ? We have so many things in place to be effective in ministry. We have more technology than we ever had before. We have more books than we ever had before. More TV, more radio, all these things. However, the church is in such disharmony. Unwelcoming is prideful. The spirit of unwelcoming is judgmental. The spirit of unwelcoming seeks to please itself, and it doesn't play well with others. And you can always feel, you can always feel when it's unwelcoming in a room. Always. 
Now, when we welcome brothers and sisters, I don't mean welcome everybody. I mean, let me go ahead and just stop right there. Because you, got to, you have to have discernment when you're welcoming. Right? You have to have discernment. Proverbs 10, verses 13, it says, On the lips of him who has understanding, meaning discernment, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks what? Sense. I love my wife. I love her for a variety of reasons. But one of the main reasons was that I, that, I, that I love her is because when we were dating, this woman did not play games with me. She had me in check. Her house, which is her heart, she made sure that she protected her house. She stopped me at the driveway first. When we, and this is our meeting phase right here when she had me at the driveway. The reason why she stopped me at the driveway is because this is the road or the pathway to her heart. It's the road and the pathway to her ministry. It's the road and the pathway to her family life. And she stopped me right here. She's like, oh, let me, get to, let me go ahead and get to know you right here, bro, before you actually get to my, my front porch. Then she welcomed me to her porch and stopped me right there. This is the dating phase. And the reason why she stopped me at the porch, because it gave me a chance to look at her house. Do I even want to knock on the door? Do I even want to come in? Then we continue to date. And then she let me into her living room with her heart. This is where, you know, she has things that she likes, shows that she likes, but also books. And, but these are the, the hobbies that she has. Then it's her kitchen where she gets nourishment. How do you nourish yourself? But she would always ask me, what's your prayer life? What's your relationship with God? And I'm thinking, I'm slick. I'm like, man, dude, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm dating and this woman, is, she's fine. And man, I just, you know, but she, was, she, she, had, a diff, she had a different agenda. I, was, I had the same agenda, but I'm a man. Come on, let's just be honest. I'm a man. She had an agenda. She said, uh-uh, I'm looking for a husband. I'm not just looking to date and we have to be careful and we have to discern how we welcome. There's levels of welcoming. We have to be careful because people have the ability, if it's the wrong one, to burn your house down. We have to watch who we welcome. They could either help build your house, add additions to your house, or they can burn it down. And my wife was not having that. Amen. 59, one another's Pastor Tony. How could I possibly do all of these? To love like Jesus. To walk like Jesus. To live in a way that pleases Jesus. How? Number one, God wouldn't set you up for failure. How can I welcome like Christ? Who did Jesus welcome? How did Jesus welcome? See, these open-ended questions get me to asking, Father, what is it that's in me that should not be, that needs to get out of here right now? Christ welcomed death itself. Christ welcomed 
the prostitute. Christ welcomed the thief. Christ welcomed the addict. Christ welcomed the drunkard. Let me go a little bit further. Christ surrendered his glory, became seed, became embryo, and welcomed being born from a virgin. He could have, been, he could have came here as a grown man like Adam, but he didn't. He welcomed that. Then he welcomed being raised by his earthly father in Joseph and said, I'm going to go ahead and do carpentry on wood that he created. Oh, while we're talking about wood, let's talk about how he welcomed the wood that he laid on for you and I. He welcomed that. When there was two legions of angels that could have came down, if he dispersed it, if he wanted, he said, no, 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 no. I welcome this as the ultimate sacrifice for you and I. I welcome it. He welcomed the cross. Then he welcomed the nails, the very material, the iron and the ore that fastened and fashioned the, the nails that were driven into his hands. He welcomed his own creation to pierce his skin, breaking bone. Then he welcomed to hang there, barely able to breathe. He welcomed the reproach. He welcomed the ridicule. All of these things he welcomed. He welcomed death itself and then turns around after dying and raising and rising from the dead. He then turns around to you and I and says, you're welcome into my kingdom. My arms are open wide for you. This is what it means to welcome like Christ. It's welcoming the good, it's welcoming the bad and the ugly. See, it's easy to welcome people and things and places that look like you and talk like you. That's easy. But if you notice the life of Jesus, most of the places that he went to, the disciples were scratching their head like, man, are you sure we're here? You really going to have the prostitute wash the feet? Welcoming like Christ is uncomfortable. It hurts, but that's what it really means to welcome. But going back to the cross, I want to thank God for welcoming the cross for you and I. He who knew no sin put on, he welcomed our sin, past, present, and future. How did he do that, Pastor Tony? Well, he was God wrapped in flesh. God who was not, who was infinite, was able to go ahead and welcome the sins of past, present, and future onto his body. And the Bible says in Isaiah that he was not recognizable. Yes, they ripped out his beard. Yes, they beat him to a bloody pulp. They kicked him. They spat on him. But you know why he was so disfigured? Why he really looked the way he did? It's because sin makes you look ugly. And he welcomed that onto his body. How many of you have welcomed Christ into your life? Honestly, welcomed him. Because, see, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe, it's not just repeating the words. You have to believe in your heart that he died and he rose again and he's coming back for us. 
it's easy to repeat things. And we're not, talk, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not talking like, you know, the, the, what, what the Catholics do in Catholicism, you know. It's easy to say Hail Marys and, you know, just say something to the priest in the booth. I'm talking about confessing your sins and understanding that if you confess with your mouth and believe, you shall be saved. I want you to close your eyes right now. Close your eyes. If you are in this room and you have not welcomed him and you want to welcome him, I want you to picture what he welcomed for you. Everything that I just said, he welcomed for you. And then he turned around and said, I love you. We were an enemy to him. But he still turned around and said, I love you. And I welcome you into my kingdom. Will you please accept me? Some of us think that when we go see and we go before God, he's going to ask us all these. He's not going to ask us if I was a good black man on earth. He's not going to ask, hey, did you, you know, were you a good white person? You know, did you vote Republican? Who did you vote for? He's not asking none of those questions. He's going to ask, what did you do with my son? And what did you do with what I gave you? Did you receive my son? And did you use the things that I instilled in you, purposes, for your life on earth? Eyes closed. If you need to welcome Christ tonight, I want you to repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I'm here. I'm a sinner. I've sinned. But I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I humbly come before you, Lord, and I surrender my life. And I thank you, Father, for dying for me, but also welcoming me into your kingdom. In your name I pray, amen. My brothers and sisters, thank you for hearing this word. Thank you for receiving this word. There's so many foundational things that we have to do within the church. You had COVID. And that made a separation and a disconnect. And we have to get back to the basics. I already know how to pray. I already know how to do this. I already know how to do that. We have to get back to the basics because, because those two years put a dent. And we have to come back stronger and better. Amen? Amen. Now let's pray. I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you didn't have to do it, but you did. You died for us, and then you welcomed us into your kingdom and into your family. God, I thank you, Lord, for using me tonight to not give a hyped-up sermon, God, but just tell the truth and on, on how we should be and how we should follow and how we should hear you as believers. It's not about entertainment. It's about change and it's about growth. 
when we come into your house. And for those of you who still need to pray that prayer, who still need guidance, you can meet me after service. Because I don't want you to leave today not welcoming the one who died for your sins into your heart. I love you. God bless you. Father, we thank you, Lord. And we, we give all these, all these prayers in your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.